0: All right, everybody out there land. welcome to episode 56 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast and very likely the last episode of the year. We're back. We've got an amazing episode for you guys. Thanks to my co-host here, Steve, who set up a fantastic guest for us. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Steve, after I say welcome, of course, and let you introduce a great bookend guest for 2016 for our show.
1: Thanks, Tucker. Glad to be back on the show. It's been a wild week again. I think last time we were recording, we were talking about a little blip in the weather. Well, we had a far bigger one. And that's, I think at this point, just roiled all of our calendars and schedules. But fortunately, we all made time. I'm especially excited to have this week's guest. As you mentioned, it's kind of like the culmination of the year and a busy year of our podcast. We've got with us Stephen Morris. He is with Premier Property Group. He's actually our top agent. He's been with the company several years. He's out there kicking butt and taking some names. We'll get further into some of the numbers and details of that here in the show. But first of all, welcome, Stephen, to the show.
2: Thank you, Steve and Tucker. Yeah, we're
1: really excited to have you. Steve said that
0: you could pencil in a little time for us. And I said, hey, let's do it, man. Let's get him on the show. So here we are.
1: Yeah, and I'm particularly excited about this show because this is the first and only show we've done thus far that is truly a focus on team dynamic. And by that, we've had some big agents on the show, some fantastic agents, some of the best ones out there, but they had a little bit more of a focus on the luxury home market. So while they were doing less units, today is all about Something that I'm more into myself, the way my team's more set up for is high volume transactions, a lot of units that together equate Big numbers. And of course, when you are running that model, it's very, very different. It's very much about the systems, very much about the different programs you're using and tools. And obviously, it's about the team. It's about the people. It's about the structure. So we're going to really dive in with some great questions for Stephen on the phone as we're going through this I'm also going to be chiming in on some of the ways I do things. This is kind of reminiscent about a year ago, Stephen, we had a premier property group event. It was focused on teams. I might've even talked about it on this show, Tucker. And Stephen was on the panel along with me and it was just such a cool event. I learned so much from Stephen and I know our guests learned from both of us. So here we are on the podcast kind of doing a little bit of a you know spinoff of that. So Without further ado, let's get right into a little about you, Stephen. Tell us about yourself, your background, how long you've been in real estate, and how long you've been with PPG, and a little bit about your volume as well. Sure thing.
2: Yeah, I came from the Midwest, but I've been in Portland for 16 years, and 13 of those years I've been licensed here. Honestly, I've only done high volume for about the last five Real estate was a side gig for me while I was trying a lot of other business opportunities, seeing what I could make happen. And then finally it clicked about five years ago. And I've been with Premier Property Group for about three years so far. Really enjoy the company. It's been the best one so far that I've been with.
1: Real quick, Stephen, when did you get your license? So you started doing big numbers five years ago. How long had you been in license prior?
2: Licensed since 2003.
0: So check this out, Steve. I did do a little research ahead of time. You know that all three of us are basically the class of 2003. If there were classes of getting into real estate, we were all the class yeah. of 2003. That's I great. love
1: it. I love it. By the way, 2003 was a good year for the NBA. If I'm not mistaken, LeBron James came in, Carmelo Anthony, and Dwayne Wade. So there's some okay. commonalities there along those lines. But anyways, you were licensed for a while and you kind of just dabbled, Stephen. What were some of the other things you were doing on the side, just out of curiosity?
2: Oh, I sold 100,000 books online. Just a hundred (laughs) thousand. I had a semi trailer like packed full of books. I had books in my basement. I was, you know, going to garage sales and buying from libraries. And, you know, I tried different online retail gigs.
0: You were heavy into some online stuff, basically, which, if that's the case, I kind of figured that based on checking out your online presence so far.
2: Yeah, I also at the same time you know I had a website business for a little bit. I made computers for people. I sold computers at Office Depot. I was just doing whatever I could, whatever I found interesting.
1: And so that that would explain some of your technological savviness, which we'll get into here later. With as we talk more about the systems and tools. Well, Stephen, let's get right into it. I know you know this isn't about hyping up numbers. It's not about bragging. It's not any of that. But well, it can be. You know, if you there's want. A, there's an element of hey, why should we listen to what this guy has to say? So how many units are you going to do this year? And what's the total volume? And I've verified all this to our listeners. I had access to this. I looked it up and I'm going to make sure he says the right numbers.
2: (laughs) So we will close over 270 transactions this year and that will exceed the 100 million. So we'll probably hit 101, maybe even 102 by the 31st of this month.
1: And for anyone else that might be a little confused about that, I'm going to help them out because Stephen Fitz has closed $71 million in the last 12 months himself, but his buyer's agent, who is on his team and is a great asset to our company, she does a lot of things inside of PPG, including some Boomtown training, Cammie Price has done another $29 million thus far. So that's where he gets that total, which is a very, very big number. And by my count, Stephen, you know, I haven't looked officially, but that puts you in the hunt for a number one spot, not only within PPG, but within the metro area period. So congratulations, you've had a phenomenal year and you really kicked it up because I think last year when we were talking and kind of comparing numbers, I was still kind of nipping at your heels and unfortunately I can't say that this year, but I think you were in the 55 million, 50 million range last year. So you really, really stepped it up and we're going to get into some of those questions about what things you've done, but let's talk about, you've already told us a little bit about, well, you sort of told us. I guess we'll ask it more pointedly. You said you've been doing higher volumes for five years. Is that when you started adding people and were no longer a solo agent?
2: As soon as I hit $8 million in a 12-month period in sales, I got my first W-2 assistant, someone just to take some of the load off, you know, do some of the paperwork, click some of the buttons so I don't have to click them anymore. And that went for about two years where I just had one W-2 assistant. I think that's a fantastic way to get started. If you're getting successful, if you're starting to hit seven, eight, nine, 10 million, you really need to think about getting some help for yourself, learning how to become a boss, learning how to delegate so that you can open yourself up for more transactions.
0: I think that's a good point. I mean, it's a delicate balance, right, Steve? I mean, especially on your guys' side of the business, you know, you go from being a solopreneur to a business owner, right? And those are two very different seats to sit in. And you might be good at solopreneur, but you can be really shit at being the boss. And so it's a progression to get better at that. So it's cool to hear that. But go ahead, Steve.
1: Yeah, it's a huge progression. I'm right there with you, Stephen. I think that is the magic number from my experience, but also watching others, especially if you hit that fairly rapidly. Now, I know some agents out there that are solo and they did eight million last year and eight million the year before and eight million the year before. And that might be a little different. But if someone's ramping up and they're going, you know, from three million to six million to eight million, that tends to be about the mark where if you want to keep ramping up, you need to get some help on your team. I've often used the analogy when it comes to growing a team and you know leveraging yourself the analogy of like a 10 speed bike when you're pedaling as fast as you can in your business and your legs are just going a million miles a minute and having a team and having people and having systems that leverage you is like having that 10 speed bike where you just click that button and typically in my experience that button tends to be adding a person or adding an efficiency which usually comes in the form of systems and tools and then suddenly you're still Going the same speed, maybe even faster, but your legs are going a lot slower which gives you the opportunity to start picking up speed. And as you grow a, a business from, you know, in your case, in my case, Stephen, from effectively zero to the 20, 30, 40, 50 million, those are those gears on the bike. And we're going to talk about some of those gears and some of that process. So your first edition was a W-2'd assistant, which I agree is absolutely the first edition you should have. And it's even in a well-known book by Gary Keller, Million Dollar Real Estate Agent. He said that your first hire should usually be administrative help it should not be another agent it should not be necessarily somebody to be a buyer's agent it should be somebody to do paperwork make flyers do all those things if you do that you can still leverage yourself tremendously and while adding a lot less cost when did you start adding more people Stephen? and what did that process look like who were your second third hires and what positions did you get them into
2: Yeah. So after about two years of success, I've got a buyer's agent. And I'll tell you that there's nothing better than being a listing agent in this business. I'm not having to show homes. Personally, that side of the transaction can be fairly time consuming. If you have kids, it's a lot of evenings and weekends. And so being able to you know, have someone take that that really wants it, is very excited about being a full-time buyer's agent. To take that off your plate, that was phenomenal. Probably one of the biggest shifts in my business was just being able, for myself personally, to be able to focus on getting and selling listings. Because, you know, truthfully, the more listings that you have, the more buyers you're going to have. So I was able to feed that buyer's agent very well. So actually the second and third hire, the second hire was the buyer's agent. The third hire was a showing agent because we got her so busy so quickly.
1: Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I agree completely with that progression. And by the way, so does Gary Keller in his book, Million Dollar Real Estate Agent. When you talk about inefficiencies in our business, one of the things that I firmly believe is the single greatest inefficiency any real estate agent out there will ever deal with is driving in traffic. And by hiring a buyer's agent, and then next, ultimately leveraging them through a showing agent, you really, really cut out hours and hours and hours out of your schedule. And so that is a key addition I got to so ask both of you real
0: quick, yeah. Steve. You know, when you leverage out, right, and you start utilizing people on your team to not only write the offers but to show the properties, do you find it to be a challenge to maintain a strong enough bond or relationship with those clients that come in as buyers agents? Or do you see that there's maybe a little pushback there, like, well, I don't get you, Steven, or I don't get you, Steve. So I don't know. Do you get much of that? Or do people understand that you're a well oiled machine and that everybody that's a part of your business functions at a high level just like you? Do you get any there or no? Curious what both the you, have you
1: do, and you're going to always lose some. You're always going to lose some who want that end all be all agent. Those people who absolutely 100 percent want that and are interviewing agents and being promised that by others. There's not much you can do about that, but. I would say from my experience, and we'll let Steven speak to that here in a second. I would say from my experience, that's probably 20% or less of people, You know, maybe closer to 10%. The other 80%, if you do a consultation with them on the phone, it's even easier if they're selling too because you are involved in their world, right, mm-hmm. Stephen? Because you are going to their listing appointment, you are meeting with them. But we're talking about a pure buyer that just calls in as a pure buyer. If you can do a 30-minute consultation on the phone, You can assess their needs, wants, You can facilitate their search being done. And when I say facilitate, it doesn't mean you're setting it up, but somehow you're relaying the information so a team member can set it up. The search is being pushed out by you. We love to send out a, a buyer welcome package, either by courier or UPS, depending on where they're located. They're getting a very informative information from you. You're following up a few days later to make sure they got the search and see if they're finding properties they like. They feel like you're pretty involved in the process. For me, I mean, I came from the mortgage industry, Tucker, and I didn't meet with my clients when I was in the mortgage industry. And so it was kind of a natural process for me to realize that I could give a really good service to people without necessarily having to meet them face to face in a process like that. So I guess it's a lot about your process. In my system, once they say, yeah, hey, you sent us that search, there's four houses we want to see, then I do a warm handoff to the buyer's agent With some kind of explanation that they're the specialist at being on site, you know, while I wear a lot of different hats, this is all they do. And all they do is show homes, write offers, negotiate offers on purchases, which gives them that specialist in that regards. And I'm a big believer in specialization rather than being a jack of all trades. So you will lose some to your point, Tucker, but I think you'll still retain enough to warrant the fact you've leveraged yourself so much over here that you're able to do seven, eight more transactions than if you were just trying to do it yourself, that who cares about the one or two that you lost that otherwise would have only been the only one or two you could have worked with. Does that make yeah. sense? As yeah, far as
0: goes, so. I'm curious what Steven's experience is. With it. It's kind of growing pains, right, Steven? I mean, that's kind of part of it.
2: Yeah, you have to learn how to take care of customer expectations. But I'll tell you, I think that Steven Asara is right. People are primarily not looking for a friend they're looking for good customer service. And if you can give them good customer service, they're going to stick with you. So if we're responding back to their inquiry in five minutes or less, if we're following up with their questions, if we're showing them the houses that they want to see, if we're adding value to their search criteria, there's a lot that you can do to keep these people. My team personally on the buyer's side, the main buyer's agent always meets with that client one time, with the showing agent that they're gonna use. So we pair up, because right now we have three different showing agents and we're gonna have four in 2017, but we pair up just one showing agent with that buyer's agent. They have one meeting, that's it. And at that meeting, it's a fairly in-depth presentation and the buyer agent explains everything that they're gonna do for them, how they're gonna negotiate on their behalf, You know, get any questions and concerns that the buyers might have out of the way. And so they do establish that relationship. And then after that, it's just kept up through phone calls and emails. And we also initially started out doing the best that we possibly can so that all of our buyers leads are going to that buyer's team and all of the listing leads are going to the listing team so that they can pick it up and run with it as quickly as possible so that in other words not all the leads are coming through me and then being split out they're getting to the buyers team first and they're setting up that initial appointment and then running with the ball after that
0: yeah i think that's Mm -hmm. a good explanation it wasn't really a softball question but i think it was a really good answer i I think people like to hear kind of how that's set up right because it's kind of a mystery right it's a big you know black box of well how do you keep people happy but I, i think you're right at the end of the day Customer service is what's most important. And if you're responding to people in five minutes, it doesn't matter if it's you or if it's an extension of you, right?
1: And this model appeals greatly to the crowd that you want to appeal to, which is young professionals or successful professionals, people who are busy themselves. And like Stephen's point, they're not looking for a buddy. If you've got the clients that are looking for buddies, your business is going to have some clunkiness to it and it's going to really pull on your time and you're going to hit a really low ceiling. So having a model like this really does appeal to the savvy online people who can use DocuSign quickly and you're not, you know, holding their hand every step of the way. I want to piggyback one other thing that Steven said that I think is so key. Immediacy is so key. One of the things that we get so many compliments on and so many good reviews over is how fast we respond to emails. We live in a day and age where people don't want to wait. If they shoot an email saying, hey, in the nature of our business is you set people up on these automated searches, right? So if an automated search kicks out, person looks at the house and goes, wow, I like this one, and they reply. They are so enamored if within a minute, two minutes, three minutes, tops, they're getting a reply going. Wonderful, you we're on it. I've cc'd so and so. She's going to set up the showing and we'll meet you there. Does this time work? Or even don't get yourself in the middle of picking the time, but let those two parties determine the time. And a key here too is what works for me well, and I know Stephen operates something similarly. Is look, we're not the only people working our emails. My email is no longer in this day and age. I'm sure Stephen will agree. It's way bigger than me as a person. It's a around the clock full time job for several people to be manning my inbox. And by having those people that are so focused on that one task at all times, we can deliver that kind of immediacy, which people just absolutely love. And as long as you're providing that, it's a huge, huge pull. And they're going to be really hesitant to venture off to other people who are those, you know, mom and pop solo agents who can ever deliver that. They can't. They're going to be in a listing appointment for two hours and that email is going to sit or they're going to be at their kid's soccer practice, whatever the case. So let's move on to the next question. I don't know if I asked you this, but here now today, Stephen, how many people are on your team?
2: there's 14 of us total, including myself.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I think we're at about 12 or 13 ourselves. It gets a little tricky because we have a couple contract people that are just, they do some showings here and there. So sometimes it's tough to answer that question, but just out of curiosity
0: though, what exact, I mean, just a quick breakdown, we don't need to spend more than 30 seconds, but what of those 14, we talked about what probably five of them are you, buyer's agent, showing agent. What are the other, you know, nine-ish people do for your team?
2: We have a couple of unusual positions. We have a full-time technical support Person, You know, one of his jobs is probably fairly similar to many big teams. He makes sure all the listings are where they're supposed to be. But we run a pretty mammoth, you know, six-figure online marketing program. And so he helps with that enormously. We have a legitimate graphic designer on staff to help us with all of our marketing material, which is significant. And it's very tailored because we have a unique program that we're pushing out there, a unique message that's always going out. So we're constantly creating content for that. And then we have the folks that you'd expect. You know, we've got two full-time transaction coordinators. We've got, you know, all of our showing agents and whatnot. Another person that we have that's a little unusual in the business is we have a licensed negotiator. So a while back, I decided that I didn't want to do all of the repair addendums and all of the offers myself. And so I got somebody to assist me with the negotiations as well, which has been really helpful. And again, it's one of those things where, you know, you wonder if the client's going to be upset about talking to all these different people, but it can be done if you do it the right way.
0: Sounds like that's the hired gun, right? So they should be kind of happy that that's all they're doing is in the trenches, kind of arguing for their benefit every day, right? I mean, that's how you know, I would he, see it.
2: That person has received, you know, multiple certificates, gone to additional training to be a negotiation master, right? So, you know, they're going to fight really hard on our client's behalf and probably have more focus to get what our clients need than I'm going to have running the show. Yeah.
1: Stephen, when do you hand off your listing to the negotiator? Is it when an offer comes in?
2: Yeah. So our listing agents, myself or one of my listing agents will run the program, get the house up, you know, get pictures, videos, get everything ready, make sure we know that it's going to sell. We're going to price it. We're going to make sure that the listing is going to be successful. And then when it is successful and we get the offer in, there may be a negotiator that steps in right now we don't have a negotiator for every one of our listing agents we have one negotiator might be looking to get another one but yeah so they step in when the offer comes in and they go to bat for the client Immediately.
1: Does that ever cause issues with, say, you have a listing? You're the point of contact, it sounds like. Agents are calling you. Hey, I heard, you know, are you going into multiple offers? What would it take to get, you know, what is your seller looking for as far as possession, blah, 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 blah? And then at some point, you hand it off to the negotiator, and some of those conversations are lost. Or do you, how do you address that?
2: They're not lost. You're going to pull a secret out of me, Steve Nassar. Uh, the,
1: buyers, <laughs> the buyer's
2: agents do not have my phone number. It's not on our. So they're calling the negotiator. They're calling the negotiator. Or they're calling a number that I want them to call on the team. That's going to answer the questions, make sure the information gets passed where it's supposed to go to the negotiator.
1: Stephen, I have that secret too. <laughs> if you go to any of my listings, you're not going to find my <laughs> phone number anywhere either. Yeah,
2: the favorite question of all time is, you know, is that home still available? They call, you know, incessantly. Which I understand. I understand.
1: Do you have a leadership position on your team that runs it in your absence?
2: So I would say that one of the nice things about the way that I've set up the team is that all of Cammy's transactions I have nothing to do with. I don't know who those people are. I know where they came from because I'm running the marketing, but I don't have to worry about that side. And then If I go on vacation, which I'm about to do in a few days, my listing agents will get the new business and I don't need to be involved in any of that for it to run. So the show will run and I can be completely gone. When I come back, it's to tweak the show. You know, it's to make system changes. It's to make marketing changes, personnel, you know, counseling updates, whatever. So we've got our listing agents in charge and we've got our buyer's agents in charge and I don't even need to be
1: here. That's the ultimate leverage. And I'm with you there, Stephen. When you can pull yourself out of the machine entirely that is the ultimate leverage. I mean, you can infinitely leverage yourself at that point. You've effectively become the conductor of the orchestra. You're not any longer somebody playing an instrument. I'm there for the most part. I still go to a lot of listing appointments. I do have a co-listing agent that can go. And I think for myself, that will be the next big shift or or gear change I will make that lets me leverage myself even further is to get even less involved in the listing appointments. It's kind of a catch-22, though. I got to tell you, sometimes when you pull yourself, it's nice to jump back in here and there just so you can watch the machine and tweak it and innovate and add. Here and now today, the things that are most important for me to do on my team is to tweak the systems and the processes to coach people And ultimately, I'm also the guy who jumps in when there's a problem, when something's going awry or there's, you know, it happens all the time on buyer sides or or listings, something starts to go sideways or negotiations start to fall apart. That's kind of when I get to pop in and help out. But yeah, I agree with you. That's awesome that you're able to pull yourself that much out of your business. Let's talk a little bit about compensation. Talk (laughs) about the licensed people on your team. Obviously, W-2 people, you know, tend to be on salaries or hourly of some sort, the Licensed people on your team, are they on splits? Do they have some type of guaranteed salaries? And what are some of the challenges and goals in this regard for you?
2: So our agents are paid really well. I mean, it's obviously, it's not about the split amount. It's about the total take-home pay, you know, in a a 12-month period. So we show them, look, here's the split. Here's our projected transactions. This is what we think you're going to make. Here's worst case. Here's best case and we hit those numbers. We're not inflating those numbers. People know what they're going to make typically, and they usually were able to exceed you know, their expectations. And just to add to that, we have no guaranteed salaries. We're 100% commission splits. One thing that I've done for the buyers team that I think has been helpful that I haven't done for the listing team is whether or not One of the showing agents was involved in the transaction. They'll get 5% of every transaction. So even if they never met that person, they never talked to that person, they had nothing to do with it, at least there's two and soon to be three other showing agents closing deals And they're going to get those, you know, three, four hundred dollar checks that are rolling in on a regular basis on top of what they're making to kind of help supplement their income. On the listing side, my agents have been making so much that there's no need for kind of a safety net or support system for that. But I think that's one way to think about it. It's just taking a small portion, you know, and spreading it out. It's not going to hurt your top producers. It's just going to help your people that are maybe in a slump to have some sort of steady income as they're moving forward.
1: Mm -hmm. No, I fully agree with you. And I like what you said there, Stephen, about there's different ways to skin the cat, if you will. But really, it comes down to what they make per year. And I kind of am of the mindset, I'm just going to throw some numbers out there, even knowing that my people listen to these podcasts. But (laughs) I mean, I'm of the mindset that if they're an agent, and this, you know, this is probably my ultimate goal is to help our listeners who are growing teams. If an agent is a savvy seasoned journeyman agent with good work ethic and good level of talent. They should be in the six figures. They should be a hundred grand a year. You know, if you get probably hundred to hundred fifty is kind of the where the lion's share of them fall. A really really gung ho go getter can probably get into the two hundred range. I think it's important to understand that because if you meet with somebody and they're like, I got to make three hundred grand, well, they probably shouldn't be on a team. They should (laughs) probably be running a team. And then on the flip side of that, I think. If you're paying them less than hundred grand and they're working their tails off, you're either not going to keep them for long, or I don't think that's the best setup. I think that is kind of where their pay needs to fall. And so I'm constantly evaluating. I mean, I look on a weekly basis at my budgets at my pay scales. I'm looking what they've been making year to date, what they've made the last rolling twelve months, and I'm I'm really you know trying to make sure that that's at least where they're at. And if not, and they're a talented person, then you know we need to make some adjustments to it. Within that, you know, I have a few different pay structures. I mean, I obviously my buyer's agents are on splits for what they do. I have inside sales associates. I actually have three of them. It's a little different model, I think, than Steven, but it's a model that I think flows more with what I do with Zillow, which is a big chunk of my business, is online leads coming in. We are all over them. Within five minutes, somebody's on the phone talking to them. They're vetting the lead. They're seeing how able, willing, and qualified they are. The inside sales associates... Tend to get like a small base, but then a small percentage of what the closing is once it closes for not only, you know, doing the initial consultation, setting up the search, rolling out a system, and then doing the follow up until such a point that they want to see houses, at which point they turn it over to the buyer's agent. So it's a little different model there, but that's a key thing to focus on when it comes to compensation. And what would you say, Stephen, are the biggest pitfalls and disadvantages to a team in general? And how have you worked to address those? For an example, Team turnover. I think that can be a large one. Talk about that a little bit.
2: Sure. It is very difficult if you're investing a lot of time in a team member and then all of a sudden they leave. I've been to some Keller William conferences myself. One of the things that I liked that they talked about was having a deep bench. And I think that's one of the advantages to growing a large team is that. If you're a team of four and you lose one person, that's 25% of your workforce, and it's going to hurt really bad. So I think the bigger you get, you kind of provide some cushion and protection for everyone else in the same team that, you know, if one person goes, it's not going to be the end of the world. If you're not in a team, you're an individual agent. You have no other responsibilities, no worries, you know, it's maybe you'll get sick, and you can't work for a week, but you kind of can set your own expectations. When you have a team, you're relying on other people to help you out. And I would say that, you know, that's one of the struggles. And it's real, you have to educate yourself, you have to learn how to be a good boss, you have to learn how to hire well. When I started, I had one or two interviews that were an hour to two hours long, And I hired someone on my team. And right now, I'm at the point where it's a two to six week process before they're hired. I even have them over to my house for dinner before I hire them. I'm serious. I get where you're coming from because
0: you guys keep saying team members, but let's just be honest, right? You're running your own business within a business, right? So they are key players in your. their employees. Essentially, some of them are contracts, some of them are W-2, but they're key employees to how your business runs. So yeah, if you're going to invest time in these people, Stephen, and train them and bring them up to speed in your system and show them, basically give them the keys to the castle, you want to make sure that they're worthy of it. They're going to stick around and they're worth your time, energy, and effort that you're going to put into them to you know provide to the business.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the problem is I can talk just about anybody into joining my team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What I want them to do, and I've had this happen in the interview process, is a week, two weeks down the road, two and a half weeks down the road, they come back to me and say, you know, I really don't want to do this. And I say, that's perfect. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you you know, came to that realization yourself. And I hope you're successful where you want to go and where you want to be. And, you know, the people that have been with me for two to four weeks without getting any compensation, you know, spending all this time learning my systems, meeting people on the team, even coming to my... house for dinner. By the time they're ready to go, you know, they've really settled in themselves that this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. These are the people that I want to work with. This is a system that I want to promote. And so we teach people our presentations and make them give them back to us so that they're comfortable with it and we're comfortable with it before we even hire them. That's so that we know that they're bought in. They're really bought in to the program. And so we, you know, I would say early on, I probably had a relatively high turnover rate, and right now, we haven't had somebody leave in over a year, changing our methods of hiring. That's, That's great.
1: awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I want to address a couple pitfalls and disadvantages. I think it's, it's important as, you know, we all know all the advantages of having a team. I mean, we could rattle them off. There's dozens and dozens. I mean, your hours are better. Your, you can do higher volume, the camaraderie, the ability to share your business and your experiences with others that are close to you. The disadvantages, some of the bigger disadvantage, I think, is the clunkiness if you're not set up right. Meaning both on the client side or even other brokers, there's not a good workflow process. It can kind of be herky-jerky experience. You know, client talks to one person, and pours their heart and soul out and tells them everything. And then somebody calls them the next day and they're starting from scratch again. So in that regards, proactive communication is so key. One way we do this is the inside sales associates on our team who do the upfront consultation they take detailed notes and those notes go into an Outlook contact that we create that goes out to all members of the team. And that Outlook contact is then in their computer, which also syncs with their phone. So at any time, any one of our people at any point in the transaction can look up that person on their phone, you know, for showing agents that's out in the field or buyer's agents, whatever the case. And they have, you know, a couple paragraphs there about who these people are, what they're looking to do, where they work, all the basic notes of the clients so that they can not only be informed, but make it known that they are informed, which helps create a good experience for the client. You know, another disadvantage and pitfalls of teams again is turnover. I mean, the teams that will really struggle the most, and I've seen them out there and congratulations to you, Stephen, for having a lot of high retention. I'm blessed in the same regards on my team are those that are constantly hiring new people. We brought on a new ISA about four months ago. She's just finally now, after four months of pouring your heart and soul into her, not just myself but other team members. She's just now finally got you know a good clip of momentum and able to do her job. Now, can you imagine if she walks out the door next month or the month thereafter, and we start all over again in that process? So, a couple things that I appreciate in this regards is for my key positions, and there's different schools of thought on this, but this is just my take on it. From my key positions, think of key positions as your lieutenants, the important people in the important positions on your team. I really, really like to hire seasoned agents who've been solo on their own and have opted to go the route of a team. There's always exceptions to the rule. I'm not saying I'll never have a newer agent that works up to that position, but newer agents, there's a role for newer agents on my team. I love them for showing agents. I love them for some of the other positions. You know, the right one in the right place that shows loyalty and shows that they're not always looking to the other side, whether they think the grass is greener, because that's the tendency of a newer agent. If they've never done it on their own. And they jump on a team where they see these tremendous amounts of volume flowing through. It's really easy to quickly go, you know, especially if they're being successful in their role. It's easy for them to go, well, I can do this myself. And they want to try that. Whereas the seasoned agents who've already been there, done that, plain and simple, they've been there, done that. So from there, you know, the other thing I'll say about being on a team is, and we kind of touched on this earlier when an agent starts out in real estate, on day one, you're 95% a salesman and 5% a CEO. Because if you think about it, on day one, you have no business. You're running around trying to get people to work with you. Well, you're, you're doing a lot of talking. You're doing a lot of selling at that point, And pulling the strings behind the scene is really limited because you have no business on that day. Flash forward to today, like Steven and myself, that equation is completely flipped. You're now 5% a salesman and 95% a CEO. But that flip doesn't happen overnight. That's a slow transition where you might go to 1090 and 8515 and it becomes a gradual process. So understanding that and really, really thriving in that understanding is so key in running a team and having success with that. And then the last thing I'll say that I've appreciated about teams, that's such a cool thing for better or for worse is teams have a tendency when it comes to employees, they have a tendency to police themselves. I bet Stephen will agree with me on this that... When you do make a bad hire and it does happen, it's usually not you who realizes it first, it's the other team members and there's been people on my team and it was regardless of whether I wanted them to stay or not. It really, well, ultimately, obviously it is my decision, but it really is about the dynamic of the team and them realizing this person isn't carrying the load like everybody else. And it's kind of a powerful thing when you realize that you have this synergy and you have this body of people who are going to help you retain talent, but also get rid of people that shouldn't be there in the system. Steven, we got to keep moving on. What are the tools and systems you're actively using on your team and talk about how they integrate, where they work well together, where there's duplication, and maybe some systems you've tried in the past and why they didn't work.
2: I'm very excited to talk about this question because I think it's one of those low-hanging fruits. If you can do it right, it will enable you to improve your business by 50%, 20% next year, who knows what. And all it is, is it's really taking the time to look at everything that happens in a transaction, everything that happens when you're following up with your clients, systematizing it, scheduling it, tracking it. There's two main systems that I think you you know have to have. In a real estate team leader. One is, of course, the CRM, which sounds like Steve's using Outlook and maybe other programs. We used to use Insightly. It's just a very inexpensive, easy to use client, you know, management system. Everybody's, you know, notes on the client go into the cloud. Everybody can look it up on their phones. You know, just basic service. That's most people know about that. The other thing that I think you need that isn't as common for real estate teams to have is automated task management system. So you need a system that is able to run through a transaction and all the way along the points assign tasks for your different team members. And to do this, you don't have to set it up every time you have a transaction, it's set up and it runs automatically with every new deal. So, you know, you have someone that is scheduling the inspector, you have someone that's ordering the appraisal, you have someone that's you know auditing the paperwork that comes in. And all you have to do in the system that we were using, a very simple, easy to use program called Brivity, is you start the program, you know, you just click that you have a new listing, and then everything that you want to have happen will happen. In two days, such and such will be assigned this, in four days, you know, Bob will be assigned this. Every t- task will be propagated to those users on their own dashboards. They'll be able to check them. There's a record of everything that they did so you know if something went wrong, you know when it went wrong, you know exactly who was responsible for that task and who didn't complete that task. Believe me, I tasked myself for this, these same things. So. You have to have those two components. What we've done is we've found a system that can do both of those things together in one package called Zoho. Z-O-H-O. It's a competitor to Salesforce. It's a very easy to use CRM, but it has a easy to use, relatively easy to use, task management system built into that. So you can go to one place to update all your clients, to update all your transactions that are associated with the clients on the same database, and all of your tasks for those transactions are also in the same place. And you can see everything at once. with a master global search that's really easy to use. You look up anybody by the phone number that you just missed, by any address, by a task that needs to be done. It syncs with your phone Absolutely, yeah.
1: This is new to me as well, because I remember about a year ago, Stephen, you were using brevity still, and I'm with you. That's such a key, key component to running high volume. You have to do it the same every time. There has to be a process that is just duplicated and is autopiloted. It can't be left to memory. It can't be left to chance. Tell us more about Zoho.
2: Well, you know, I encourage anyone just to try it out. You can do a free trial, you know, no cost. You can import, export your contacts from just about anywhere. And then the real trick is, you know, setting up the task management system. But it is phenomenal. Based on who, you know, the listing agent is or the buyer's agent is, you can trigger certain tasks based on the stage that the transaction is also connecting to who is in charge of that transaction you can have scheduled tasks you could send out automatic emails so you don't need to order the trio because that system is automatically going to email your title company the title company is going to send it back to you and then you could even develop you know a hook so that it downloads the file and uploads it into Skyslope. I mean, it's crazy the amount of automation that you can get into with a system that has a good API, is what it's called with Zoho. It's API, you know, it's this background code to the site, that you can use to shoot out automatic emails. You can pull in data automatically into this system because API is like a universal language that you know all these various systems use. So your Zillow leads can go into it. You know whatever. It, it's a very flexible enterprise level system that doesn't have an enterprise level cost to it.
1: Huh? How does it integrate with like Boomtown? You're using Boomtown for your searches and IDX, right? Yeah, unfortunately, Boomtown
2: doesn't play nice. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're looking at all the different things that you're trying to do, if what you're working with has the ability to send out an API, that's what you got to look for. If it has the ability to do an API, then you can play with it in a broad universal system like Zoho. And there's a connector system called Zapier. Z-A-P-I-E-R. That's the train station, that's the hub. So if you've got a new lead third-party website that you've had made for yourself or whatever, and you want it to populate things in your universal CRM task management system Zoho, as long as that third-party system is putting out an API, which is basically just like broadcasting all of its information on a 5, 10, or 15-minute basis, you're either directly having that Zapier take that information or using a third-party train system to pull that information over and shove it into to Zoho, that third-party system is called Zapier. Hmm. As, so beyond got those a lot of web two... Experience? <laughs>
1: Yeah, no kidding. We're we're dealing with
0: we're actually on the brink of launching a big real estate app that we've been building for three years, and we've been dealing with APIs for three years. So all this stuff obviously makes a lot of sense to myself and Dan on the back end here. You know, it's probably newer to most people listening, but very simplified, good way of describing what an API is. So I think that was really good.
1: This is definitely high level stuff. So let's go even further, Stephen. I mean, beyond Zapier feeding Zoho, what other tools are you using in your business? You're using Boomtown, right?
2: yeah we use boomtown and you know it's always when we're looking at a system It's trying to look at, you know, maybe 10 different things. And we're typically not going to get 10 out of 10. We're not going to get everything that we want. And I wish that Boomtown had an accessible API that we could play with, but it doesn't. What it does have is a really good automated follow-up system that's highly customizable. It does have an interface that buyers will actually get on and use and search for homes. And I think that's the number one criteria if you're looking for a home search program for yourself is are the buyers actually going to use it? are they going to come back to it are they going to enjoy using it does it connect well with the agents which boomtown does and so there's a lot of benefits to boomtown that keep us using it and paying for the service which amazingly premier property group you know foots a lot of that bill but you know so we're still using it even though it doesn't play in with our master system like we'd like it to
1: so there's a little bit of duplication there you're entering them into boomtown and then they're somehow getting into zoho correct Yeah. So Boomtown, I've found, you know, we're able to
2: just get thousands. We have thousands of people on Boomtown, thousands. And you don't want to manually create thousands of people in Zoho. You know, that's no fun. So we're taking the leads in Boomtown that look like they're going to turn into something. The leads that we're talking to, you know, the people that are actively searching, then we'll put them in our follow-up program, which will run, you know, in Zoho. And that's nice. You know, you put That person into Zoho to store all their information and it auto starts all your follow up tasks for your agents so that they've got to do their emails, they've got to do their phone calls and whatnot. So yeah, so we just have to take the hot ones from Boomtown and then we've got to manually input them over. You
0: know, one thing gotcha. I, I noticed that you're doing as well, because I did a little more background digging, your retargeting game is is really on point too. And I don't know, if, Steve, if you're familiar with that or if you use that much, but I just went and did a little sniffing on Steven and lo and behold, Facebook says, hey, you've been sniffing on Steven. Here, check this out, check this out, check this out. So, you know, there's not a lot of agents to do that. We obviously are in the internet marketing space for a lot of our real estate education side of our business. So I noticed these things, but you're definitely doing some things that agents are not doing with that. So congrats on that for or, you know, Thanks. but you're an online guy. So you get this. This is probably low level to you. But to most people, it's very high level tactics in order to generate more business.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to talk about retargeting for a minute because initially I didn't like it. You know, you go to a shoe store online and then all of a sudden that shoe store ads are following you everywhere for a month. And it's annoying, right? You see it a hundred times. Well, what you may not know listening to this podcast is that retargeting is incredibly cheap. So, you might have paid an upfront cost to get a new person to your visitor. You may have paid $5 for that click. You may have paid $10 for that click. But then you take your whole retargeting list, everybody that's been to your site, and you're throwing out these hundreds of ads at them. When they click those ads, you're probably paying 20 cents. Mm-hmm. So, retargeting, initially, I thought, man, what a mess. Why do I want to pay? You know, I paid $5, $10 to get them to come to my site. Why do I want to pay? five or ten dollars for that same person to keep coming back to my site, you know, and probably frustrate him because it's annoying. Well, the trick is it's 20 cents for a repeat visit. You know, it's nothing. And so that's why retargeting, I think, is so powerful that you go into these systems that are selling you these ads and the retargeting should be, you know, 10 percent of the cost if they click on that ad later on. So it does become a useful tool.
0: Yeah. And it is powerful for brand recognition and converting leads to clients for sure. You know, especially if set up properly, which it looks like yours is. So
1: I want to keep talking about this, Stephen, because I think this is one of your greatest strengths. You have a lot of strengths. And I want to reiterate one thing you said, PPG, one of the cool things here, when I first joined PPG myself a, a little over two years ago, I had looked into Boomtown on my own, which was about $1,500 a month for my entire team to use it. At PPG, they make it available to all their agents for about, I think it's $35, maybe $40 a month. So it's a huge advantage. One of the many that PPG offers to their agents by their sheer size, they've negotiated some huge bulk discounts for their people. Besides those programs, is there any other key ones that you're using? Are you using spreadsheets like Google Spreadsheets or is is that all happening in Zoho, all that data systems maintenance?
2: I think some things like basic lists, you know, like your contractor service lists. Yeah, it's very easy to use Google Sheets, Google Docs. And so we do that quite a bit. Now, one of the fun things that we're exploring is Google Forms. So, you know, you have a listing agent going to a house and they'll have you know, all the same RMLS criteria on their tablet, right? And so they can select all the functions of that property on their tablet and then it will auto send it back to the office. And then we have somebody at the office that just fills out their RMLS form because it's going section by section. You know, instead of just having your listing agent there with a piece of paper and a pen and just trying to take all the notes and get everything that they can remember, they are going to have that same RMLS form, but easier to use, (laughs) I think, made out into a Google form that's online. Put it all in there. It shoots it back to the office. Somebody else can put it in, you know, because it's the listing agent's data, right? And there's a lot of really neat time-saving processes out there that are free, you know, with Google systems that have been made available to us. I think that's one that we've really used and enjoyed quite a bit.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And let's chat real quick about your database. Like When you're sending stuff out to all your sphere and your past clients monthly, whether it's email or, or mail, snail mail, is Zoho what's tracking those and putting them into some type of spreadsheet that then you can use to upload the bear printing or however you do it? Well, I want to kind of
2: answer that question a little differently because I think one of the things that you're trying to get to is tracking. How do we track you know our marketing? How do we know what's working? How do we know what's not working? How do we know who's responded? Where does all this information go? And so there's something that's free and it's so easy to use. And it's called a UTM code. UTM. Google provides it. And if you go online and you're just pounding around on your keyboard, you'll notice that some links seem like they're a mile long. You know, they're like 400 characters long. And you might think, oh, that must be, you know, some kind of encryption, that must be security measure." No, probably not. Look for these three letters together, UTM. And what it's doing is, so if I advertise on Facebook, let's say I have five different ads on Facebook, my Google Analytics will tell me that Facebook is doing so well. So many people are looking for so long. So many people are hitting the contact form. You know, here's their information. It's being plugged automatically into Zoho. Then we can find if that person turns into a client, right? But what the UTM code does is now I can differentiate by adding it to the link, which Facebook ad it was that they came from. So all five different ads from Facebook will show up in my analytics as five different Facebook ads, and it will track their progress through my website, depending on which ad they came from, all because I've just added on and you just copy pasted on a UTM code. So my Facebook ad number one I do a UTM code, you know, my website, realestateagentpdx.com slash UTM. You know, this is Facebook ad one. It's for listings. It'll check it all the way through.
1: Okay. But if I go on your site today and I go, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about selling and we talk for a bit, maybe even come to my house. And then I say, hey, you know what? I'm going to hold off a year. Let's touch base then. How do you keep in touch with me?
2: Oh, absolutely. That's all Zoho. So in Zoho, we have a whole section of follow-up things that we can check. And if we check it, it notifies one of our people and they'll order it. So one of the things that you may want to check is a Corfax card, right? So let's say you met with them; they had a job opportunity out of state, but they decided that they weren't going to take it. You have no idea if and when they're going to sell, but you had such a good conversation with them; they really liked you. You know that they're going to use you. You want to do a general mailing, right? You just check on Zoho that you want to do that mailing. We like to do Corfax. You know, we like to do Christmas cards, so we just either check, you know, Corfax, or we check Christmas card. And then when Christmas card time comes around which it just did for us. It's just an easy export out, print the labels, send the cards.
1: Export um, into an Excel spreadsheet or something like
2: that? Yeah, I will export You know, to a comma-separated value, a CSV. As long as whatever system that you're using can export into a CSV, you can do whatever you want with that system. So if you're a newer agent out there or you're, you're listening and you're curious, but a lot of these things don't make sense to you, buy into a program that you know you can export everything out, as a CSV, but buy into a program that has API code, even if you don't know what it means. And as you learn and develop your programs, those are the things that you need to be able to keep your data, be able to chain link your data with other systems and programs. So just make sure that if you're buying into something, you know, look for those elements.
1: Awesome. You know, we had other questions, but I think we're running up against our time limits here. I'll just kind of open it up to you, Stephen. I mean, any other last nuggets, you have some amazing systems and tools knowledge base that makes me feel like an idiot at times. <laughs> but that said, I've learned a lot and I have a sticky note here. I'm going to show you guys. I've got sticky notes that I'm putting on my computer with Zoho written on them and Zapier and API CSV. And so we're going to look into some of this stuff, but we'd be idea- happy
0: to explain it to you as well, Steve. We actually have both that for our app that we're building to. So a lot of stuff sounds cool. very familiar to me, but otherwise I would be in your boat. So don't feel bad.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of our listeners are probably more in my boat than your guys' boat. But any other last nuggets for us, Stephen, best practices that you want to leave on a parting note.
2: Well, you know, in order to learn all this stuff, I didn't take a class. I didn't go to a seminar. I'll tell you, a lot of it is from an app called Flipboard. Flipboard. Writing it down. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's hard to find really good informative content on marketing that tells you what to do, that tells you how to do it, tells you what you need to know, maybe what you're missing. And you're not just going to be able to go to CNN or CNET or something like that and get what you're looking for. So if you are using Flipboard or Medium is another one of those types of programs where basically you could type in something very, very specific and it will send articles to you about that. So maybe you're interested in retargeting. So you could tag retargeting and it pulls. It's amazing. It pulls from tens of thousands of sources, all these wonderful articles on retargeting are now going to come to your phone app. So I flip through that thing all the time. And that's how I stay on top of the marketing world. And it's interesting to me, you know, I like it. So that's how I access it. And you're not going to be able to find that just Googling around, you'll get a lot of crap websites, you know, you get some misinformation, but you get one of those syndicated, you know, customizable content apps and you'll get some really good information.
1: Cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Tucker, we probably should wrap it up. I want to say, Stephen, I think we could have kept you another hour. So I think in 2017, I think we need to have you on again and just kind of touch on some of this other stuff and maybe finish some of the other questions we have. So let's be in touch and keep that in mind. Yeah,
2: no, it sounds great. We appreciate you coming
0: on. I, I would say, Steve, this has been the most informative show we've ever had, hands down. I mean, <laughs> I haven't
1: seen you take notes like that ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a good time. Cool. Well, good stuff. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being on our show. We got to wrap up. Tucker, take yeah. it away.
0: Steven. Thanks again, Steve. Been a pleasure again this year. This will probably be our last show for the year, but kick off 2017 with a bang as well. And like Steven agreed to on air, he will join us again next year. So stick in for that. But this is episode 56 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're signing off till next time.